This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. With an eight-point lead over Liverpool's to chase down and the latest international break out of the way, Manchester City's season really does start here. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where we'll be looking ahead to what could be a tricky tie at Crystal Palace. City are going first again this weekend, so they could close the gap to five points before Liverpool head to Old Trafford. They can't really expect any favours from there these days. Manchester United truly are a pain in the backside, whether they are good or bad. The Champions League is back underway this week too, as City host Atalanta, and we'll be previewing that game. And historian Gary James is on the show to talk to us about his new new book Manchester City Women and Oral History. Don't forget to send your questions in for next week too. Do that on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast and through the website bluemoonpodcast.com where you can also kill a bit of time listening to a whole host of our interview archive with ex-players and managers. But don't do that now because we've got a brand new show for you. I'm your host David Mooney and joining me for the next hour or so is City fan Rachel Hudson. Hello. And the Independence Northern football correspondent Mark Critchley. Evening. So uh, let's let's kick off then. Crystal Palace uh, away for, for City this weekend. Rachel, how are you feeling? Well, depends what what mood I'm in, really. Um, you know, when I think back to that Wolves game and you know the two nil scoreline, actually, <laughs> you know, is quite favourable. Um, you know, we think about the three chances that they had in the first half; it could have been a real drubbing. And I like to think that we've learned lessons from it. Uh, however, I'm thinking about the fact that I, I said exactly the same thing after the Norwich game. Well, <laughs> at least that lessons come early in the season, and we'll have learned from it. And it felt like we've learned nothing. Um, I am worried about the, the, the you know the, the the issues at the back. I know everybody's been speaking about how vulnerable we look at the back, but I, I don't think we look like we can keep a, a clean sheet. Um, you know, I think if Saha's playing, I think he'll you know run at Otamendi. Feels uh, like he'll get out of field there. Yeah, it? it does. And and Zinchenko as well for the you know I, I I'm not I, I'm not a huge Zinchenko fan. Um, so he you know starting with those two, I know injuries wise we might have no choice. Um, but yeah. That that does frighten me, but I'm looking for a response. You know, I, I think the international break probably came at the right time. This is the chance for for Guardiola to you know to um, show that you know show our character, if you want, as as, um, as Brendan Rodgers would say, you want the boys to show a great character. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we've we, we've absolutely we 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 could have thought you know if we had we've had eight of our nine lives already this season I think yeah. um, I, I was going to say Mark does it feel like it's at the point now where City just have to win it, like it, 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 we're eight games into the season it's, this it's is a mad, must win it's game it's mad isn't it it's not even it's, November and it's a must win game it's hard isn't it I mean the past what year and a bit it just it's just felt like this whole title race this whole City Liverpool rivalry this it's kind of like you know it's kind of like the film Speed you know you, you just can't slow down or <laughs> something's going to explode and and City have slowed down and that's that's the that's the bare facts of it over the past you know month or so we've seen those two defeats in the draw at Tottenham um i don't i feel like yeah you're right the international break came at exactly the right time because you know if it, it carried on any longer then it allows that kind of especially from our point of view it allows that media narrative it allows that to all kind of just keep going the questions keep being asked and now there's been that break stones and de bruyne are back in back in training as we've seen this week hopefully you know that's going to bring a little bit if they if stones can come back in that might bring a bit more stability to the defense um but yeah, I think, like you say, the season starts here. So I'm delighted to say that we're now joined uh, by Andre Vincent, who is uh, a good friend of mine, a comedian and, uh, and Crystal Palace fan. Andre, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Excellent. Can't believe that we're six in the table. Um, it's 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 an amazing feeling to even be up amongst those giddy heights. When you actually look at our stats, it's embarrassing. Well, I was, we, I was going to... I was going to say this. I mean, let's be honest here. Are, are Palace getting the credit they deserve? Because, I mean, what what was the start since the start of 2019? It was only really City and Liverpool who had got more points. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we. I, I don't know how it is that we're, we're up there. We're, I think we're 14th in goals. Um, we've got, like, you know, 18th in shots. It's just abysmal. I think we've had, like, 56 shots on goal while you, you're up in the 140s. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just... And yet, there we are. We just managed to put away. We just haven't... You know, we've just been playing the, the you know the minnows of the of the league at the moment. The next five games, you know, I think we've got... We've got you, we've got um, Arsenal, Leicester, Chelsea and Liverpool. That's our next five games. Well, that'll, I mean, be, that, that'll be fun for you. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll put that'll put us back down where we belong. Rachel, uh, does it does it worry you when you hear a Crystal Palace fan come on and say that we just keep every shot on target seems to go in, As, knowing that you support a club that is having so many problems defensively at the moment? That does, <laughs> doesn't does that worry you? Uh, yeah, or you've just added to my woes, to be totally honest. Yeah, but even think about last season, that game at the Etihad against Palace, and I didn't then, want then to bring we, that up. Yeah. I didn't want to bring that up so soon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that that Townsend shot, I, I do remember. I think in my life I've, I've twice got to my feet to applaud an opposition goal and that was one time it was unbelievable Vinny, I'm, that, I'm gonna mean, let you bask in it that, look at that shot right Townsend just makes this incredible shot everyone says it's the goal of the season and, and I can't believe it and I think that's it we've got it it is goal of the season who takes it off us Vincent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's saying and I believe that the, the players were shouting don't shoot when they were around him you lot come in and just take the goal off us. It's the only thing we probably would have had last year. I think that in fairness to in fairness to him, it was either that or Liverpool win the league. Which which one do you want? That's true. <laughs> yeah. God, God. I mean, I'd happily turn over on Saturday to make sure that Liverpool don't get it. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one of my friends under the bus here now. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name any names, but I was speaking to a United fan at, uh, who said I would quite happily see United relegated if they lost twice to Liverpool this season. and City won the league. That's that's how that, that's how desperate the situation's getting. Mark, you you said before that it was uh, good that that the international break has come along for City. What what needs to change for City this weekend from from the previous week? Um, just about everything in the defensive third of the pitch, perhaps. <laughs> is that is that fair? I don't know. Well, I think that. You know, we, we need to take City's kind of start in a little bit of perspective because what we've seen over the last, you know, two seasons has been extraordinary, like literally unprecedented. So, you know, a little bit of perspective is needed. At the same time, I think the biggest problem is that they're just so so weak through the middle at the moment, whether it's because of the centre-back partnership, whether it's because I know we, a lot of people, you know, rodri has been playing pretty well, I think we're all agreed, but his positioning sometimes being a bit off and that's cost them. So I think they just, hopefully over the last two weeks, they've just, you know, rallied round and had a few meetings, looked at the the things that have gone wrong in the last couple of games and, and tried to sort that out. And I, to be honest, I, th- I, I fancy City. I know people here are a bit pessimistic and a bit worried, but as the neutral observer in the room, I, I, I still fancy City to do it on Sunday because, um, you know, they've just, they've got that ability. They've got that talent over Palace. Philly, what are you like through the middle? Can you, can you, can you punish City there? I, I can't see us. I really can't see us coming there and taking it. I mean, I know your defence is at a wobble and we do seem to be having these moments. But, uh, you know, it, it's we've got nothing up front. We have nothing up front. Zaha is, you know, is a midfielder. He's now playing. He's now our, our best attacker. He still hasn't scored. I can't believe that... Um, you know, they've just given Benteke and they've just renewed his contract. How hey, scary hey, is that? Some, some great international goals over the break though, wasn't there? Well, he's not done anything for Palace in eighteen months. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very well going. Who did who did who did Belgian player? I didn't I, even I, see. I it. can't remember. The, San Marino, yeah. or someone. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just trying to give you so a bit they, of positivity, they, Mike. They played a Sunday morning league. <laughs> who came out the coffee shop for ninety minutes? Rachel, it's. I mean, we were talking before. It depends on which side of the bed you get out of to decide whether you're going to feel optimistic or pessimistic for this game. It feels like it's one of those games that could either be a blessing or a curse because it could be a tough game to come back on off the back of a bit of bad form. But also, like as Vinny's saying, Palace not great going forward. It could be actually a good game to for City to get the teeth stuck into. It could be, yeah. I think, I think that there's a lot of listen. There's a lot of talk around the defence, but what you've got to think is that the the players in front of them are still absolutely world class. You know, I think we're probably <laughs> we're probably you know okay, we might concede a goal now. That's the difference. If you think in those fourteen games that you know that we went unbeaten at the end of last season, I think we conceded what four, five goals yeah, or something. Like three something. Or four, yeah. yeah, yeah, not very many. Whereas now, I think the reality is. We're not going to keep as clean as many clean sheets, but we should still actually be, you know, be, be turning teams over. Um, for, for me, I know you talked again. We we're talking about what what went wrong against Wolves, and a lot did. But the final ball was really poor against Wolves. We kept on insisting on crossing, you know, putting these really high crosses into the box that we had absolutely no chance of. Um, of Aguero, I think, was up against Cody and. Um, Bolly, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Willie Bolly. Yeah. So the 
there was absolutely no chance. So I just hope we've learned something from that as well because we didn't change anything the whole ninety minutes. We persisted on carrying on like that, thinking that there was going to get there was you know something was going to give. So if for any reason it, you know we, we get it deep into the second half and we're not winning, I just hope that Pep actually changes something. But I, I don't necessarily see that in Pep. I yeah, never, he, does, he doesn't seem to be one. He for... doesn't. He doesn't change his tactics. He always thinks it's coming. It's coming, and you know, obviously, it wasn't on Sunday, be, was it? You no, know, no. And I should not be questioning Guardiola, obviously. And I, I really wish that you know we could drop our heads as easy as you when you lose one game to Wolverhampton. <laughs> I mean, what was it? It was like Watford. You've put Watford down. Let's be honest. You've destroyed a club. Giving them an eight-nil thrashing and the FA Cup, you've 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 taken the backbone out of that team. They're down now because of you lot. You then beat Preston, you then beat Everton, you then go in Europe and win there, and then you you lose to what you lose to to Wolverhampton, and then that's it. You lot are like, oh, it's just gone awful. Oh, it's gone bad. Oh, what are we going to do? I think do? it was. What I think it do? was more the nature of the defeat and the the fact that you know, like I say, in the first half we conceded three. There were three one-on-ones which actually they should have put away we, we could have had a real drubbing and, and it's more as well that I think there's a bit of a blueprint there if I if I was going to play City at the weekend I think I'd know how I would set up and I would I'd just completely oh sorry isn't it just isn't it just put up the bus wait for a break exactly that I mean exactly you know, that you, you've shown us you've shown us the way to do it but then you, you you'll learn from that and now you'll make sure that you know not uh, you might stick every person in the box is that what Roy's going to try do you think Vinny think he's going to oh, see yeah. that and, we and will, go for that. You, you'll not see anything like it. Ben Teke will be, will be so on that line. <laughs> oh, what a dangerous thought. <laughs> he, he, might, he might do something in a Palace game. He'd, he'd be a goal threat in his own box, won't he? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, he will, you watch, he'll get on the score sheet this week. <laughs> uh, Vinny, the, uh, the, the key signing for me for, for Palace this summer was, uh, was Gary Cahill. He, he looks like an absolute steal for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we thought nothing's going to, you know, once Wambasaka we went, we were like, oh dear, this is not going to look good for our defence. And then bringing him in, he's just been solid. You can, man, you can hear him through at Sellers Park. You know how well we sing there. And then suddenly people are stopped because they can hear Kale on the pitch and everyone's looking around going, who was that? Who was, oh, it's him. All right, all right, Gary, we'll leave it to you. It's <laughs> incredible. It's it's beautiful to watch. And um yeah, oh, poor old Wambasaka going to Man United because he thought he'd get to Europe. <laughs> it's it, I, I genuinely, I'm not, I'm not lying to you when I say, and I think everybody in the studio has agreed that we'd, uh, we'd love to see Palace finish above United this season, um, just, for, <laughs> just for that sort of thing. Yeah, and Leicester people. for that matter. Yeah, yeah, McGuire yeah. going there. I, I would, I'd love to finish above Man United, and and certainly, I'm, I'm pretty sure Leicester will as well. So that would be uh, a nice uh, uh, nip in the neck. You uh, you mentioned um, before uh, Wilfred Zaha as well playing up front. Was it how key was it to keep hold of him on uh, on Light Wambasaka? Oh, incredibly so, incredibly so. I mean, he he really is the talisman. Um, there was there was there was a worry at first that we were going to lose him, and this this rumor started that um, if we could get Balassi back from Everton because they're best mates then it would be sorted. And then I don't know where Balassi's gone. He's off to somewhere in, he's been loaned out to Europe. So that all got blocked. And then we thought, oh, well, we've lost him. And then, uh, yeah, he, he, nothing came in. Nobody came in for him, which was just really lucky. Uh, Mark, for, for City going there this weekend, Vinny's mentioned it already, that the atmosphere is likely to be lively. It's the evening game. It's going to be, you know, it's, we're in the autumn now. It's getting dark. It's that the atmosphere is going to be uh, up against them. How does City deal with that sort of uh, that sort of time these days? We, I remember looking at this fixture at the at the back end of last season. You know, when City had the run of games that we we thought, well, if they slip up at any point here, Liverpool are going to catch them. This one was right in the middle. It was just before the Burnley one, wasn't it? I think, and it was like a you know faultless, seamless two 0 win, wasn't it? I think is that right? So you know they they know what it's like at Selhurst Park. We know that corner makes a lot of noise. But I don't think they're going to be intimidated because it's an experience that they've already come through and in recent memory as well. The only problem, really, like we keep saying, is is the form at the minute and this this nagging fear that, yeah, they may only concede a couple of chances, but there'll be really good chances and, and, and Palace are going to find a way in. But by, by the very nature of the way City play, the, the opposition, if they're going to have chances, they'll, they'll likely be good chances. Well, that's, City take risks. That's certainly been the case this season so far. I mean, it, it didn't seem to be at the back end, like what I'm talking about at, at, at Sellers Park in April or whenever it, whenever it was. You know, they had that long run of like 
clean sheets and and very few goals conceded. So it's about finding that kind of balance and that stability in the middle again, I think, because that's what's been missing. And I think, you know, Rodri, like I say, I think he's been playing well enough, but is is he completely is he completely up to speed with the Premier League? Is he completely up to speed with what it means to play that role? Is it, uh, what Guardiola is demanding of him? I think that's the biggest question going into this weekend and one that could ultimately prove decisive. I don't think he would have played Rodri anywhere near as much had he had a fit back four. So had Laporte yeah. not got injured, I think he would have been playing Fernandinho in that role as well. We would have seen him being used more sparingly. I think for me, the, the other good thing about this weekend is the timing of the game and the fact that not necessarily the kickoff time, but more that we're playing in, um, before Liverpool. If psychologically they, you know, they'd gone another three points ahead, eleven. Il- if 11, it got to eleven, yeah, eleven yeah. points. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think there, I think there's, there's probably something in that as well. So we need to take wow, full advantage more of that. Between you and Liverpool, than there are between us and us and you. Well, no, it must be. It must be down to <laughs> must be down to near um, near United at the at the bottom end of the table, mustn't it? Where, uh, where <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, Rachel, how how does City solve this this problem in in defence? If if Stones is borderline available, do you go Stones and Otamendi with Fernandinho in front, or do you still keep Fernandinho in the back four? If Stones is fit, I'd probably go Stones and Fernandinho. It's, it's Stones Ot- and Fernandinho. Yeah, it's Otamendi. There's the guy who worries me a little bit. Um, well, when I say a little bit, a lot, <laughs> to be perfectly frank. Um, and I think I think both Stones and Otamendi have benefited from playing alongside a leader. So in Laporte and in company, I think they they are a great number two. That neither of them are the number are a number one defender for me, as in the leader, the person who's barking out the instructions, who's you know holding the line. Everything. The sort else. of Gary Cahill figure. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So. For me, I think if Stones was was fit, I'd be tempted to put put him back in alongside Fernandinho, who I don't think has done a huge amount wrong in defence. No, to I, be perfectly I, honest. I don't think, I think he's either. All I, think, right. I think the problem is that he's not in midfield. That's, Ot- yeah, that's where he's yeah, being yeah. missed. Mm. Otamendi, it, the, the big thing from Otamendi for me is that even in the games that he's played well, he looks like he's got a mistake in him. Whereas Fernandinho, I don't, I, I have the confidence that he'll, he'll you know, if he comes up one on one against somebody, he'll be all right. Otamendi, every time he's up one on one, my heart's in my mouth. I think he's either going to hit the ground or he's too slow. He's not going to. He's not going to catch him. And, well, and it's weird isn't it? when I hear people say, "Oh, Kyle Walker, he's he's too old. He's too old." And he's, Otamendi's about two, three years older than him, isn't he? Yeah, but Kyle Walker's probably about five times faster than Otamendi. That's and better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And I mean, but you just hear people. I, I mean, I don't know if it's just down here that we we moan that we do moan about. Fernandinho is probably older than both, but he's still. A, you know, a much better player. How he's he? still going, I don't know. The 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 one, I mean, I, I don't know. As a Palace fan, Vinny, you might be looking forward to this, but but Zaha running at uh, at Otamendi could could have some results this weekend. Well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. Is just he's just going to have you know he's going to be out the blocks as soon as that ball goes kicking out, and that, that's the only thing. He is he is so fast, Zaha, when he wants to be. Well, let's let's talk about Roy Hodgson as well because um, I, I mean, he's not fast at all. Well, he's not, is he? Um, <laughs> <It's> embarrassing. <laughs> I was going to say when he when he got the job, um, there was there was a lot of raised eyebrows because he he'd come off the back of a let's say below par time with England, and it was it kind of felt like he was a bit of an underwhelming appointment at the time. Well, no, I don't think so for for the fans. There is, you know, he's from the area. He, it's his team. Uh, you know, and we were certainly having a having a bit of a bad run of managers at that moment. So for him to come along, there was a real, it, it, you know, in, in the stands they were very happy to see him, and and they they know how much he loves the team. So we haven't had that for quite a while. You know, I think Doug, Dougie Freeman was the last person who you always felt had a little bit of passion for the team, um, while everybody else was always, well, let's see what I can get out of them. And can I sleep with a, you know, with one of the players' wives? Um, that's that always seems to be most of the palace problems. Uh, Vinny, I'm gonna before we get a score prediction off you, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna allow you the, uh, the the time to explain how you came up with the nickname for Fitzhall. Oh, as soon as as soon as I saw him, and as soon as it was it, he was down on the on the team sheet so many seasons ago, and and just uh, it was all my mates were just standing there. Uh, where's one size plan? Where's one size plan? And they were all standing there. Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? One size, one size, and that was it. One size fits all. Is it? Um, was it we, honestly you that did it? I mean, come on. I 
As far as I know, as far as I know. <laughs> Brill, uh, let's. Uh, we're going to do the charity bet a bit later on in the show, so uh, let's grab a score prediction for you, and we'll uh, we'll if if you're right, we'll win some money for uh, a cancer hospital in Manchester. Uh, I'm going to go two 0 to you, look. Brill, Vinny, thank you very much. I would wish, wish you the best of luck, um, but I don't know if you'll need it this weekend. I've not decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> I will wish you the luck. Because you do need it, you, you're obviously trembling after, <laughs> after, which is still beyond me. If there's, if there's one team that hasn't losses. had any luck yet in the in in their uh, in, in the last few years at City, to, come on, tell me that. <laughs> that's that's yeah yeah. We we were the ones who broke the back last year. We'll see what happens. Fingers, I'd love to see it happen again. I think you're just uh, you're ready to give us the kicking we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as you might be able to hear, I no longer have a beard. Part of that is down to Harry's, but another part of it is because I'm now 31 years old and starting to go a little bit grey, but let's not talk about that bit. So this week, I lathered up and chopped the beard off after getting a trial set from Harry's. When it arrived, it was neatly packaged in a lovely resealable bag, and in the luxury box inside was a strong, sturdy razor, a tin of shaving gel, and a protective case for a blade. Plus, there were some tips telling me that the guy in the mirror looks great, which he obviously does. The foam was soft and gentle on my skin, and the shave itself was very close because of the movable head of the razor, meaning I could get to all the awkward places like under my jaw by my ears really easily without any danger of cutting myself. And that's a miracle in itself because one of the reasons I normally have a beard is because I'm actually rubbish at shaving without cutting myself. But with this razor it was easy to get a smooth close shave without a drop of blood spilled. The razor was also a good weight for applying pressure and a comfortable fit in my hand. It's left my chin looking a lot smoother than it's done for years. If you know me then you'll know another reason that I normally wear a beard is that I don't enjoy the effort of shaving daily, but this was really comfortable and easy. Now, Jeff and Andy, the creators of Harry's, were two ordinary guys fed up with overpriced razors. They set up Harry's to fix shaving. They knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less profits, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. The trial set includes everything you'll need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You can get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95 and you'll be helping the Blue Moon podcast out too if you sign up to get your trial set delivered to you by going to harrys.com forward slash moon right now. If you're listening to this on your phone, you could do it now while the show still plays in the background. That's harrys.com forward slash moon. Just before we we move on to to the next thing, I mean, it, it, it's funny because Rachel, do you still, when you look back at, at City last season, we it feels instinctive for me to say that City don't lose that many games back to back, and yet it was it was Palace and Leicester last season that that feel like the outliers. So, uh, kind of, are, are you pleased that City have got one of the defeats out of the way and they, they they've got this run to kind of go two, on? Two now? of the defeats out of the way already, aren't we? Well, we yeah. Norwich as well, yeah, and and the draw. Although the Spurs game. There were mitigating circumstances. Yeah, on that. and you know, and we played so well. You'll never see another one more one-sided game. So that didn't worry me. It was more that, like I said, the Norwich and Wolves games. Yeah, I'd like to think that it's out of the way now. Um, you know, going through this, getting to November and having lost three see three games already is almost unthinkable. But then you look at Spurs last season and they finished third, having lost, what, 17 games? They were quite some, way behind City and Liverpool. Something <laughs> absolute. They were, but they finished third in the table and they were had lost 17 games yeah, they didn't or have something like a, ridiculous. They like didn't that. have a draw until like February. It was it was very mm. weird. Was yeah. like, if you, you're talking about outliers, that's an outlier. Yeah. Uh, and I think any any situation where City like won every game from here till the end of, the, end of the season would be as well, obviously. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't... If if you look at title winning teams, generally they lose how many games are we saying like three or four? It's, it's, it's never mm. more than that, is it? So like you say, they've already spent two. Uh, mm. Looking a bit dodgy, I'd say. And Liverpool yeah. losing only one all season last yeah. year. Yeah, that's yeah. But didn't win the title. I I, <laughs> I I you know I I think they've got a defeat coming. I, I hope it's this weekend. I'm not going to. I'd lie. love it to be this weekend. <laughs> I would love it I, because number one, sense. Ole will stay. Yeah, Ole will stay in the job a bit longer, <laughs> um, which is a, again a bonus. Um, but yeah, I'd, 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 I'm, I'm well behind United this weekend. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot to say about Liverpool not quite convincing as much as they did. They were at points last season. They haven't looked quite as good a team. So that is definitely some hope for City. And you imagine down the stretch, especially if some injuries come in the way, they'll. 
there'll, there'll be a, a few points dropped here uh, and they, there. They don't get injuries, they and even when they do, the opposition <laughs> goalkeepers chuck it in the net for them, so oh, it doesn't and, matter, does or it? Or they get penalties. Or they get the, penalty that. V- v- they, have, they have played without their goalkeeper all season, basically, apart from like 20 minutes. Yeah, there. but so. I mean... Come on. I mean, De Gea's lightly injured this weekend now as yeah. well, isn't he? But that might be a blessing in disguise. Who knows? Uh, right, so as we've already said, City go into this weekend's match with Crystal Palace. Eight points behind leaders Liverpool with just eight games played. Largely down to surprise defeats to Norwich and Wolves. Tom Green's been looking at Pep Guardiola's record of dealing with these sorts of setbacks in his time at the Etihad. <laughs> Pep Guardiola's time at Manchester City got off to an excellent start. The manager won his first 10 games, and fans thought he was the magic bullet to the problems under Manuel Pellegrini. But he wasn't. After those 10 wins, City drew 3 all with Celtic, and then fell to defeat at Spurs. A draw against Celtic and a loss against Spurs isn't the worst run of form that any team's ever going to suffer. But from 10 straight wins before, it is a little bit of a setback for City. I think we'd hoped against Spurs that they would put the, the draw against Celtic behind them within a space of a few days, and they, they didn't because Spurs were excellent. That's City fan Richard Burns, who was optimistic of a quick return to form. But it didn't come. City drew home games with Everton and Southampton, while also losing to Barcelona and Manchester United. Supporter Howard Hawkin thought the defence looked rusty. Obviously it's a new philosophy, isn't it? And... It's just it's going to take a lot of time and as, as long as it takes that's what's going to happen, there's going to be mistakes. It's clearly a system that relies on people very, very strict positions at all time. I guess eventually when it's all working everyone will know where they are instinctively, they'll know where who to pass to. The response to setbacks didn't get better that season. After a defeat at home to Chelsea, City could only manage a draw with Celtic before an awful display in a 4-2 loss at Leicester. Fans were beginning to question Guardiola's ideas. Burns thought City didn't have the right players to do what the manager was asking. I mean, you watch for almost all seven of the goals that we conceded between the, the Leicester and Chelsea games. Just in shot is Kolarov running back trying to keep up with a with an attacker. And that's like, it's that easy to have a dig at Kolarov, and I do think he's been woeful recently. But that's sort of symptomatic of the system. Like, you can't play a line that high against a fast attack with Kolarov in it because once it's behind him, he can't get back. The form continued to fluctuate. They threw away a two-goal lead against Tottenham in the aftermath of an embarrassing 4-0 hammering at Everton. And after exiting the Champions League against Monaco, they failed to win any of their next three games. Journalist Alex Porter thought City were letting in too many soft goals. Every time they go forward, you think, yes, something could happen here. But unfortunately, that's what the other team think every time they go forward. And it's, it's that men- I think you give that mentality to the opposition by conceding so many soft goals. The opposition think, oh yeah, we can have a real go today. And, it, and it's that, I think, which is then it becomes self-perpetuating after a certain amount of time. But Guardiola's first season at City didn't set the tone, as the team went on to win back-to-back titles in seasons two and three. Despite some setbacks in that centurion's year, they rarely wobbled. Their first loss of the campaign was in January, 4-3 to Liverpool at Anfield. City fan Nick Unsworth was philosophical. You've always got to appreciate where you've come from, haven't you? In whatever part of life it is, you do appreciate where you've come from. But it's not, you know, we got beaten at Anfield. One thing we can take from that is we got beaten, but we came very, very, very close to drawing right at the end. And I mean, we were getting absolutely rinsed for about 10 minutes. There was no trouble with bouncing back in the next games too. They won the next four. The same happened when City were shocked losers to Wigan in the FA Cup. They won the League Cup against Arsenal the following weekend. Burns thought it was all down to how City had played all season. Arsenal showed why they're not a top team anymore. They didn't They didn't take advantage of that. Um, and so I guess in some ways maybe they played the occasion too. They were too scared of what City could do to them. But that's the advantage of what City have done all season. Teams are beat before they go on the pitch. And I think Arsenal were probably scared to try and go toe-to-toe with us. So we've won the game by everything that's gone before. Or, you know, we've managed to give ourselves that, that first half advantage. The only time City didn't dust themselves down quickly was in what would turn out to be their worst week of the season. After losing heavily to Liverpool in the Champions League, they had the chance to win the title earlier than any team had done before and do it by beating Manchester United. But from 2-0 up, they lost 3-2. The Athletics City correspondent Sam Lee thought all three results that week were a knock-on effect from the first. He got the tactics wrong, which is rare for him, but he did in the first game at Anfield. Then in the second game, because of that, he kind of had to keep some players back and 
against United, they did do enough to win in the first half. Then, when he named the team on Tuesday night, what the hell is that? You know, he'd have got slaughtered for that. If, if Liverpool had to just cut through him in the first half like they did at Anfield, you'd never hear the end of it. But, you know, it, it goes to show again that it doesn't matter what us as fans and journalists think. If we don't understand what he's doing, it makes no odds. That doesn't mean he's mad. It means we're, well, either stupid <laughs> or we just don't know. But we don't know because he tells the players what they need to do and they did it. City won the title the following weekend. Then, last season, it had looked like they'd slipped into their old ways with a run of three defeats in four games. After going down 2-0 at Chelsea, City lost to Crystal Palace and Leicester. That form caught Howard Hockin by surprise. Not in my wildest pessimistic dreams would I have seen the Crystal Palace result coming. Leicester could happen as a one-off, it could happen. But the two together is just... No, I didn't see it. I don't know where it's come from, but I wouldn't say I predicted it. I expected bare minimum four points this week and probably six to be honest but it was the only time they didn't respond well to a setback last season when it looked like their title hopes were dangling by a thread after losing to Newcastle they put together a 14 game winning streak it included a win over Spurs who had just knocked them out of the Champions League with one of the biggest VAR sucker punches the competition has seen is the effect that had on Richard Burns. I knew that I was celebrating one of the greatest moments, in, well, probably the greatest Champions League moment we'd have had to that point, really. And then you hear that it's being reviewed, and then you win. And it was absolutely awful. And I've genuinely, for all the lows that football gives you, I've never had a high to low so instantaneous like that. The current problems at City aren't in the same scale as that, and there are injury-related mitigating circumstances for recent defensive worries. With an international break to stew on that defeat to Wolves, you'd expect the team to come out all guns blazing for the trip to Crystal Palace. One thing's for sure, if they're going to challenge Liverpool this year, then they'll need to put together one of those winning streaks that the last two campaigns have been built on. Hi, this is Ian Bishop. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Tom Green looking at uh, how City cope with setbacks there. Now it's time to look ahead to the Champions League game on Tuesday with Atalanta. Um, a win pretty much sees City through, Rachel. Uh, so you kind of say it'd be a shock if they didn't if they didn't get the job done from here. You'd think so. Um, I mean, the the result, you know, the games so far have been pretty convincing in the Champions League. So we would like to think that we get it, you know. Um, sewn up as quickly as possible um, I think they've played two lost two in the Champions League so far but they're doing okay in Serie A I believe so they must be doing something right and I'm not taking anything for granted having seen the Norwich and the Wolves games this season already I, I, you know, I don't want to be complacent anything can happen in a, in a one-off game of football however I'm pretty confident we, we should turn them over Yeah Mark I mean Atalanta have the, the game against Shakhtar they almost got the result they needed and Shakhtar pulled it out of the bag. It kind of strikes me as a team that could be a problem if they set their minds to it, but the chances are City are going to just do, get the job done. I think the fact that it's at the Etihad, although that hasn't done for much lately maybe, but, you know, <laughs> the fact that it's at the Etihad, you'd certainly expect so. Um, Atalanta, they've, I mean, they've really impressed in Serie A for the last couple of years, uh, ever since Giampiero Gasparini joined um, about three years ago. Uh, they finished third last year and the, they're the most impressive thing about them is their attack. You know, they're, they're this team that creates, if you look at all the statistics, all the underlying numbers, all the XG, all that stuff that some people don't like to talk about. They're, we're, actually, we're very happy to go XG. Oh, we don't, I don't mind XG. Here. Okay, well, yeah. they actually led the way in non-penalty XG <laughs> uh, in Serie A last Excellent. season. Excellent. There's, a, there's you, a man who's done his research. Better <laughs> than Juventus, better than Inter, better than all those teams. So there's obviously a dangerous attacking unit that City need to be careful of here. Um, they're also, equally, equally, you expect them not to open up this game at the Etihad? You would think not, but I mean, it's whether they've got the capability of that. There has been some questions about their defence as well. So, you know, and, and, and obviously they've, they've, they've lost two. Um, a, a point would be useful to them, but they do need to start picking up wins in this group if they're going to qualify from it. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I was in doing a little bit of research about them. I came across... Did you know in April they had this game? This is going to sound quite familiar to some of you. They had 47 shots on goal in one game. Can you guess the final score? They lost. 1-0. 0-0. 0-0. Now, if that doesn't sound like a Manchester City game that we've watched over the last few years, or, you yeah. know, like the Tottenham or draw. Or a Chorley game. Or a Chorley nil, nil. game. <laughs> People are wondering why we're talking about Chorley now. Forget about it. it doesn't uh. matter. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, so we expect this side that's going to, you know, attack, have a lot of fluid movement, 
Um, but I think City are going to have more than enough to cope with them. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there's no jeopardy in this one, doesn't it, Rachel? It feels like it feels like like because even if City weren't to get the points, they're still going to qualify. Yeah, but I hope we don't go into the game with that attitude. Um, you know, let's get the game won. Let's get you know start off with our best eleven. I hope that you know I, I fully expect that Guardioli will go with our best eleven and not have Tuesday's game in mind on Saturday. You know, I'd like to think that he's prioritising. Saturday. I was, um, was going to say for Tuesday though, maybe room for Phil Foden. We've been crying for it, crying for, out for, for him for on Saturday. Uh, no, for or Tuesday. Uh, for Tuesday. Tuesday is a perfect one to get him to get Foden in. I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he came on. Again, I mean, I remember against um, Zagreb. I'm like, what? What on earth is he bringing him in with one minute to go on? Um, when he when he <laughs> when he brought him on, and then of course he goes and scores a great so goal. A game up so yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, Tuesday is the absolute perfect game to to give Foden. That would be. Um, it would be. I mean, if more than nothing, anything else, to just get the press off his back. You know, he, he's getting a lot of true, um, yeah. a lot of stick at the minute for not playing Foden. I think. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think some of that though is down to the fact that you know I look at Tammy Abraham's and I look at Mason Mount and I think would they be playing had Chelsea been able to do anything in the transfer window? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think. Possibly not. I mean, uh, Chelsea's, you know, you have to take the context of that transfer ban in. Like, it's completely changed and it's completely out of the season. Lampard's probably not got the job if he's, if, you know, if, if that's not the, if that's not in place. But at the same time, I think Lampard has got a kind of uh, commitment to playing these young players. And we, you know, I, I don't give Pepe off a stick for it, but you do sometimes think, couldn't you just play Foden there? Like, this is a perfect opportunity. I even think, you know, for this game, would it be so bad if we if we saw Eric Garcia? We know the defense is under a lot of strain at the minute. Wouldn't be could we see him possibly thrown in, see if he can do a job? Because, like you say, they're going to qualify. Probably going to get a result. So why not test out a player that uh, every time we've seen him so far, he's never let, the, let anybody down. Actually, in, now you say that, I've not thought of it this way, but now you say that. In the Premier League at the minute, the position they're in, they need to win every game. There's no room for manoeuvre. Mm. In the Champions League, they've got a little bit of wiggle room there now, but just simply by the fact that they've got themselves into such a good position in the group and and there's potentially dead rubbers to come at the end of it. Exactly, and there's all these questions over how... We were just at, like talking then to Vinny, like, how do we want to see Stones back or do we want to have Fernandinho and Stones or drop up in Otamendi or do we want to have Fernandinho midfield with Rodri? Why don't we use this game as a testing ground to actually see whether Garcia or Taylor Harwood Bellis or someone can step in and do a job? And then, you know, for, cer- for certain Premier League games where you're a little bit more confident that you're going to get a result, use that. Does uh, does Guardiola need to win the Champions League at City, Rachel? I would rather win the league every year than win the Champions League. However, I think I'm probably in the minority. I think that the club want to win the Champions League to be considered amongst the elite. Um, I think Guardiola probably has to win it at City to be considered a truly world-class manager. Um, I mean, some obviously he's in that bracket now, but in terms of silverware, people want to see that he's won the Champion League at City. So, and, and last season was so disappointing because I thought that was a real chance. I thought that was a real opportunity. You know, there were some big... Um, Big teams exits, are gone. Yeah. Big exits, yeah. Some big scalps. Um, I, you know, I'm not saying that we would have gone on and, and beat Ajax because obviously they were we absolutely flying at the time. But I thought it was a real opportunity. So I was gutted when we when we lost against Spurs because I thought it, this is the chance. So everything seems aligned for us now. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me this season if there was a reversal of fortunes in that Liverpool won the league, City won the Champions League. Would you be happy with that? Would you be happy, happy with the, the Champions, Champions League? League? It's, a, it's, <laughs> it's a very loaded question. I'll give you. Liverpool winning the league. Would, would I take to winning the Champions League if it meant Liverpool winning the league? God, uh, I suppose you'd have to. I suppose you'd have to. Oh, you'd go on. We'll, ju- we'll just about take it, won't we? Yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose it's like in '99 when we won, the, we won the playoff final at Wembley when United secured the treble. Is it that sort of? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Is the uh, Division Two playoff final, Champions League final, is that about, about the same? About yeah. the same level. About yeah, the same level. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, Mark, is it disrespectful to Atalanta to expect this game or to to have hopes of this game better in City's record, winning the competition six nil against uh, Shakhtar? 
last season or the season before I can't remember they played last Shakhtar last, last season yeah, 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 they played yeah, them that often it's when Sterling kicked the turf and we got a penalty for it if you remember oh forgot about that yeah, yeah. yeah. so so is it, is it, is it disrespectful? disrespectful to imagine this might be a record Champions League win yeah I think so slightly I mean like we said we're talking about this, the third best team in Italy not just now but last season as well so they may not have performed up to now but um, certainly that they're a talented side they've got you know a couple of couple of players in attack it can really cause damage I, I don't think this is a game where City go in thinking you know well we can we can hit them for four or five or six but it is a game where like we like we're saying in the context of the group we know that yeah okay qualification is probably gonna gonna come in the next couple of games you, you can afford to use a couple of younger players like we're saying perhaps but again you don't want to take your foot off the gas because especially after the run they just had if they pick up a good result on on Saturday uh, you don't you don't want to lose that momentum by just throwing a Champions League game. So you know I think yeah I, I I would say I would say treat it with the respect they deserve because third best team in Italy they do deserve it. Right. Well, uh, the charity bet's back this week with the total so far standing at £135. We're raising money for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester with William Hill and there's two games to go. So, uh, Mark, what are you having for uh, for City at Crystal Palace? 3-0, why not? 3-0 is 7-1, to one, so £70 if you're right. Rachel, what are you having? I've gone Palace 1, City 4. Uh, Palace 1, City 4 is 12-1 to 1 and uh, £120 if you're right. And as we heard from Vinny before, he said 2-0 uh, to City, uh, which is 11-2. to 2. And £55 if he's right. That brings us on to uh, Atalanta. Mark, what, uh, what have you gone for for that? I think I went 4-0 City on that one. 4-0 is 9-1, to one, so £90 if you're right. Okay. Rachel? I've gone 3-1 City. 17-2, uh, to two, so uh, £85. I've gone 5-0. I, uh, I fancy a big <laughs> score. Oh, okay. uh, so I've gone. I've got 14-1 uh, to one and 140 quid if I'm right. Uh, you've you got to be a... looking at the XG. Uh, well, that, that's the thing, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. <laughs> International breaks can be dull sometimes, especially if there's very little activity involving Manchester City. So on weeks like that that's just gone, you could try The Athletic, as they bring features, interviews and stories about City from a world-class team of writers. You already know about Sam Lee, he's doing the City-specific stuff, plus there's others like Ollie Kay and Danny Taylor adding a little bit of a wider perspective too. It's totally ad-free and there's no annoying pop-ups. If you want to give it a go, then head over to theathletic.co.uk forward slash blue moon and you'll get 50% off your yearly subscription at £2.50 a month and a 30-day free trial. This week, Sam's been speaking to former City defender Gerard Vikins and he's done an in-depth interview with him about his time at the club, including what it was like as he expected to help City make it back to the Premier League when he arrived, only to find himself in the third tier just 12 months later. He also talks about the final derby at Main Road and the culture around the club at the time. As Carl Walker wasn't selected for England this week, Sam's also been looking at the reasons why and how Walker's role has changed under Guardiola from what you might have expected expected previously. So if all that sort of stuff is your thing, visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash blue moon to receive 50% off your yearly subscription and a 30-day free trial. Welcome to the new home of football writing. Now, the history of the men's team at City has been well documented down the years. A lot of the research has been done by one person in particular. Well, now Gary James has turned his attention to Manchester City's women's team. I've been speaking to him about his new book and why he decided to take on the project. People think the women's team sort of started um, about five years ago when they joined the Super League. Um, the truth is that it's been going since 88. And I was at the first ever game of a women's team um, and was there. I went to games for the first four years, really. Um, but a lot of the women who played felt totally excluded, um, not by the club, but by society in general, if you like. You know, there's a lot of women who they played against who were writing articles saying this club is a new club, and it wasn't. So the idea was I wanted to capture the stories of the women who'd played since 1988 through to the modern times, you know, regardless of, of what area they played in, and really tell their story. I tell the story of a club, but talk mostly about the women and what they achieved. It's in their words, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's an oral history book. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I, as a man, didn't try to change the emphasis or, or do anything. I mean, obviously, I, you know, it's like when you write a book, you, you, you don't just repeat what somebody says. Um, but I wanted to get the tone right. So when, for example, Jill Scott is talking in a book, you can tell that she's from the northeast, you know, because you, 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 the tone in, in terms of the phraseology and so on, it's her words, um, and I think that's fair. And the same is true all the way through. So when somebody's talking about 
playing as a young girl in the 1970s and being told you can't play football because you're a girl, I didn't want to translate that into my, my words saying, and such and such a body was not allowed to play because it sounds silly, but when you hear the emotion, if you like, in those voices, it means a great deal. And I suppose as well, it helps preserve the, the, the era, if that makes sense. It, you, we're not looking at it from a, you know, a 2019 yeah. point of view. Well, it is funny because a lot of the women who played right at the start are now talking, you know, some, one of them is a teacher, for example, and the kids at her school say, how much did you get paid, miss? And she says, I paid them five quid a week you know, to train and for the right to play. And I think that's it. You know, they washed their own kit. They had to find pitches. They, you know, all, everything that goes with what I suppose is a typical sort of Sunday football team in a sense, except this was Manchester City. This was a team that, um, to the outside world, was probably a wealthy club, but it was just like any other women's team, you know. And people often say, oh, well, Arsenal are more famous as a women's team and have got this long history. But City women, or City ladies as was, is probably more like a traditional women's team than Arsenal because it relied on those women all the way through to keep it going and for it to develop and it wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for well there's a group there's about what seven or eight of them around about 1996 who had a meeting in the dressing room uh, at a training session and said do we carry on or do we pack it in because it looked as if it was on its knees and through the efforts of those women it survived and prospered and within a couple of years it was suddenly winning leagues again and, and being successful. What, what were the conditions like at the start? Because, uh, I mean, the, the, there were some of the stories in there about, about expecting to play on, on pitches that were a lot better than they were. Well, yeah, I mean, quite a lot of the women had played through the teams. So some had played for Woodley Ladies, which had been Manchester Corinthians, some for Red Star, and uh, another for Lady Blues and so on. Um, and the very first game was at Boundary Park on the artificial pitch. Um, and so that... Start, that sets the scene, if you like. Your first game is on Boundary Park against Oldham Athletic. The next one was at Platt Lane, which at the time was City's best training facility. And then the third game was supposed to be at Burnley, um, Turf Moor. And we were told to meet at Turf Moor. So expectations are high. Turns out they changed at Turf Moor, but it was a pitch up the hill, um, which didn't even have nets or anything. It was just, you know, damaged goalposts, um, dogs running across the pitch doing whatever they did, you know. And... And it's sort of, well, Rita Howard, who was the first proper captain of a club, says that was actually more typical. It, that's what it was like for most games, league games and so on. Um, but yeah, the conditions compared to now, it's just another world. <laughs> Women's football is, is one of the biggest growing sports in, in the country. Where does, where does City sit in the kind of, in the hierarchy of it all? Well, I mean, they're not the most successful yet. You know, obviously Arsenal have, have had a lot of success and, and to be honest, you know, teams like Liverpool and Sunderland have had lots of success over the years. Um, but of those teams that play in the Super League, they're basically, well, it's between them and Arsenal as to which is the oldest, as Manchester City or as Arsenal. Um, so in terms of heritage, it's 31 years. Um, they've not got the name because they weren't in the top league for up until recent times. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I did the book, because this is you know, typical women's football. They played, for example, in the Women's FA Cup in their first competitive season. So that's 30 years ago. They got thrashed um, by Wigan, I think it was. Um, but they played in it in that first season. And I, I think that, that sort of states, you know, that nobody can say, oh, well, the games before the WSL were not at the highest level. Well, some of them were. Some of them were in the highest level of the Women's Regional League, you know. Um, there wasn't a National League. But I think City, give it 10 years and City will be perceived as not only a giant, but one with history. At the moment, I think the wider public is still trying to get to terms with the fact that this club isn't the new club. It's a club that's been going for 30 odd years. You've done a lot of work on the history of the men's team. Mm. Um, how important is it to document this at this time? Because how much of it has been lost already? Yeah, well, I mean, so much. There are games that took place only a few years ago where we have no idea what the lineup was. Um, I, I, as a byproduct of this book, I managed to get statistical information for every season, which has never been done before for any women's club. Um, but it's not complete. So I need, I still need to find some lineups. I still need to find goal scorers. I still, attendances, you know, all of this, there's a massive gap. Having said that, 
we don't have any of that information for the men's team's first sort of 10 years. So to, to have got this as much as we have for women's is great. Um, but there wasn't newspaper reports particularly, occasionally, not always. Um, wasn't much programmes. So that's one of the reasons why I did Vero Illustrated, to try and fill in the gaps. Um, but ironically, since finishing the book, I've just been handed a massive pile of match programmes. It's always the way. I know. Um, and I've already sort of identified one or two games that weren't in the, in the official record. So, you know, maybe at some point in the future I'll do an update. But it just shows you, if we don't capture this now, once these women move on, once something's happened to them, um, and one of the original players unfortunately died at the start of this year, actually. Um, so we're losing it already. Um, and it's very important to capture those stories whilst we can and make sure we always have that history. Because if something from 30 years ago gets forgotten about, well, what hope have we got in 50 years? This is the Blue Moon Podcast. If you'd like to pick up a copy of Gary's book, then you can check out Waterstones or Amazon, or you can contact him on Twitter. Just search for at Gary James Writer. And with the news that the former chairman, Eric Alexander, has passed away this week, I also asked Gary what impact he'd had during his time at Main Road. Eric was the chairman. He was chairman for two years before Peter's Wales. Uh, and so he was the transition from the traditional sort of city, if you like, the city hierarchy, to the Swales years um, and, it's, and he stayed on the board into the 80s but then he resigned, he wasn't happy with the way the club was going. Um, but Eric also represents the Alexander family contribution which goes right back to 1894. Uh, his granddad was, um, the, he provided the horse and carriages for the first homecoming parade and was a director, vice chairman, managed the team briefly. Um, his dad set up the reserve team and signed Matt Busby for City and did so many other things but was also chairman in the late 60s and early 70s when we won all the, the, the trophies we did with Joe Mercer and Mark Marson. And then Eric, uh, he was responsible for the North Stand being built at Main Road which was the most modern football stand in the country at the time um, and he had this fantastic plan for Kipax and for training facilities. He opened City's training ground at Cheadle and developed that and then once Wales took over it was let's stop investing and the club went from being a profitable club under Eric to being a club that suddenly was in debt and there's a million and one fears why but whilst the Alexanders were running the club it was it was controlled City the Alexanders a bit like City's royal family I guess you know a presence that had been there from the beginning but also dignified respectful um, and Eric was also a senior figure for the Lancashire FA and was a proper football man, you know, in terms of he wanted football to be about the people. He, he was absolutely obsessed with supporters and absolutely obsessed with players. Um, and if he got those things right, he was happy. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Gary James talking to me there about uh, the former chairman, Eric Alexander. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can email through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram as well if you go and search on there for Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, first up is Kath Berry on the email. She asks, Company, Silva and Aguero were all top three in the Mirror's top 50 Premier League players of the decade. We all know the players that get the credit at City, but which players deserve more credit than they got while at the club in the last decade? So we, we're looking for unsung heroes Gareth of the last Barry, 10 years. Gareth, Gareth Barry. Barry, all day for me. He, he, he's somebody who, if he played, he largely went unnoticed. If he didn't play, you didn't half miss him. And I think David Silver actually voted him, didn't he? In the, the, the year we first won the league, He David Silver voted him for his player of the season. He was so understated, but he was so reliable, so fit knew exactly where to be, his positional sense was brilliant, collar off and, and cliche used to go missing, he'd always be covering them on the left. Wasn't fast, but he, he, he made up for that because he didn't need to be because of his, his, his footballing brain. I was going to say, he, he never struck me as somebody who kind of moved out of, he had one gear yeah. and that was... A, it's all he needed, yeah. it's all he needed, yeah. And I, I would say as well, possibly Fernandinho, although I think over the last 12 months has been a bit more of a realisation as to how valuable he actually is. I think maybe for the first two, three seasons at City, only really City fans actually, you know, were raving about him. Whereas now, I think across the, you know, the the um, wider footballing um, supporters, see what a fantastic player he's been. What an engine! So versatile, great in the air, can read the game, can tackle. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's somebody who is. 
probably still underrated, but probably one of the key reasons why we have been so successful in the last four or five seasons. I don't think you get a better shout than uh, than Gareth Barry, but uh, oh, no. go for it, Mark, if, you, right. if you've got anybody. Okay. <laughs> the one that springs to mind, I mean, it's quite hard because, like you say, there's, there's, a, there's a spine, isn't there, of players that have basically been the foundation for the success over the last decade. But more generally, maybe, I think Edin Dzeko was, you know, a good player. Scored some big goals for City. Obviously, obviously, a QPR in the in the Aguero day. Um, but he's also like since then gone gone to Roma, and he's and he's got all the attributes that you'd want from a top level, elite level striker. And you know, he's always done a job wherever he's gone. So, and I th- I think there was a tendency because maybe he didn't, he wasn't always in the team. Perhaps sometimes he didn't get the goals that you know you pay their money for. But like he was. To me, he was always quite an impressive striker and like didn't always get the credit that he deserved. Fair play. Um, actually, it turns out you can get, uh, <laughs> get a decent shout alongside Gareth Barry because uh, those are probably the two I'd go for as well. Um, Nick H has been in touch on the emails to say, uh, having listened to the VAR debate on last week's show, I wondered, would an NFL-style system work better? Perhaps a system where nothing is checked until a coach challenges a decision? Um, I, I, I have a problem with this. I've heard this argument before and, yeah, I, I get it. And... I think VAR is in need of improvement, but the problem with the challenge system, I think, is that you know, say say a manager has three or maybe even just one challenge, then you can start to like say say they haven't used them all game and you know they're one nil up. Do you start using them for time wasting? Is is you know are there other ways that system can be gamed? I think that you know no kind of VAR system is perfect really, and and that one has its own challenges that we. That, that that we'd need to you know answer and face up to. I suppose maybe though. I mean, because the, the my my initial instinct was to say what worries me about it is that you would just save a challenge in case you conceded a, a goal towards the end. But I suppose you have to challenge and say I think that's handball or I think that's offside and that's what you challenge. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't see how that wouldn't prevent time wasting. Oh no, it doesn't. I wasn't. No, I wasn't no, no. Suggesting <laughs> okay, right. Um, okay. But it, but it, the one thing, but it does at least stop you. Just like in, it's not just a, a, a Hawkeye sort of. I thought that ball was in. I thought it was out. Sort of situation. There's so many different variables for for football that you don't get in other sports that that it has the problem with. I mean, so you, Rachel, start, you start using VAR as a tactic almost. Yeah, 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 case, yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not a fan of VAR. The the the, the, the where it works for me best, the sport in which it works for me best is rugby league. Um, I think there's a lot that that football can learn from from rugby league. I I watch a lot of rugby league on the telly though, rather than actually get physically going to the games. And I think that's the the big thing that's missing for me is the lack of any kind of communication. Um, you know, with the rugby league, the the the, the on field um, ref gives his decision, and then it goes to the um, the. The video, uh, the ref. video ref and the video ref will talk through what he can see and why. And I think it's the same in rugby union as well. Although I'm not a massive avid rugby union fan, but it's there. They are actually talking about the decisions that they've made. And I think more than anything, it's the lack of transparency that frustrates me and the lack of any kind of communication in the the ground. So I know that the rugby league approach wouldn't necessarily fix the problem of fans at the ground not going not knowing what's going on, but at least then you would get home and you would understand the decision-making, whereas at the minute I just think there is absolutely zero transparency about the way that decisions are being are being made, which is the biggest frustration for me. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you, you're you often in the press box at the Etihad. Um, do you get any more information there that the fans don't get? Not really, to be honest, because you might have a monitor in front of you where you can perhaps see it again before other people can see it again. But you don't know... Um, you you're still like a servant to the to the big screen and like I remember being at the so we've had both Tottenham games at the Etihad in in the past mm. six months and like both times we were just all there like oh what oh, okay right <laughs> delete yeah, you know, yeah start again start yeah. everything again uh, so it's not it's not particularly helpful to us either um, I, I, yeah I think that is the, one of the biggest problems with Etihad and and it's something that you know I don't think there really is a solution to though because if you start announcing things. Is does that you know? Do people start kicking off inside the stadium? I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, it there's no there's no easy solution to VAR for me. It's it's a bit of a mess as it stands. I think yeah. all I think all we know for certain is that whatever happens uh, with VAR is Liverpool get a penalty and then some, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really understand why. In the ninety third minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, final question and a bit of light relief to finish. Uh, Samuel Reed on the emails asks: uh, Have you seen the state of Laporte's new hair? What's the worst haircut you can remember of a City player? Ugh. I have seen Laporte's new hair. 
coupled with his new studded leather jacket, it's uh, <laughs> I thought quite the jacket some... was way worse than the it, hair. It's quite something. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Jim Tolmey's hair. Do you remember Jim Tolmey? He's a bit before my time, I'm yeah, afraid. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Morley used to have a shocking hair and moustache. As Ian Bishop used to have a mullet in his first time <laughs> round. I'm showing my age now, aren't I? No, I, I remember Ian Bishop. <laughs> I remember Ian Bishop's uh, mullet because he scored again in the five-one. So he there's, did. There's, there's the image of him, of yeah. him celebrating yeah, the ball late. Yeah. So I'm, I, that's that's seared in my head. Brian uh, Brian Gale used to have shocking hair in the uh, late eighties. There's lots. Steve Redmond used to have awful like sun in highlights if you remember them. So yeah, I was going to put David James in there. He must have had a he must have had a terrible. Um, David Seaman. Yeah. David Seaman with, oh, with ponytail, the ponytail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David James used to dye it blonde as well, didn't he? Like, he did for a spell. I can't remember. Cornrows. Yeah, I can't remember if that was Ilan, a Didn't Ilano turn up once with cornrows he as did. well? And that looked oh, awful. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Nasri dyed his hair blonde. He did. That was, yeah, that was another that was one. Another shocker. God, yeah. There's been quite a few over the years. Where do you stand on Aguero's blonde highlights? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have no opinion. I couldn't give a hoot so long as he's firing in the goals. I'm not bothered. Well, I think there's the perfect place to finish. Uh, <laughs> that's it for this week's show. I know over so soon. Uh, but don't worry, we'll be back next week to look at all the talking points of the games against Crystal Palace and Atalanta. If you can't wait until then for a $2 a month pledge on Patreon, you can hear our weekly bonus show. This week's is all waxing lyrical about Yaya Toure's time at City. So check out patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast for more details. Special thanks to our two guests, to Rachel Hudson. Thanks for having me. And to Mark Critchley. Thanks, Dave. I'll be back in seven days' time. I'll see you then. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.